a new report has found the majority of plastics can't and never will be recycled. It comes from the US-based Centre for Climate Integrity, which also says the world's plastics industry knew for decades that their products were unable to be recycled for technical or economic reasons. Between 1950 and 2016, over 90% of all the plastics made an estimated 6.3 billion metric tonnes went to landfill, was incinerated or leaked into the environment. But the centre's report, called the fraud of plastic recycling, says industry leaders continued to promote recycling as the best way forward. In 1988, rolling out the familiar chasing arrows symbols, which have become the globally recognised sign for recycled plastics. The report comes just a few weeks after all New Zealand district and local councils moved to standardise recycling, with only plastics labelled 1, 2 and 5 now accepted in curbside recycling bins. Indeed, during a recent interview we were told that those other numbers, even if you put them out in the recycling, were not recycled. To tell us more about what's gone on globally and where things are at now, Davis Allen is investigative researcher for the Centre for Climate Integrity and lead author of this report. Davis, thanks for being with us and welcome. Thanks for having me. So can you tell us who's responsible for the manufacturing of the majority of the world's plastics? Yeah, the majority of the world's plastics are created by oil and petrochemical companies. Um, Many people don't think of plastics as a fossil fuel product, but they almost universally are. Um, They're made with oil, natural gas, coal in some cases. Um, And so, yeah, in many cases, the biggest oil companies are also the largest plastics companies. The story you want to tell is how recycling has been sold by the industry as what? As a reason to just keep producing more because this answer is there? Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, The plastics industry faced backlash about plastic waste all the way back to the 1950s, 1960s, um, when they were the ones that began to promote disposable single-use plastics. Um, And uh, basically, as soon as that backlash began, they were looking for ways to relieve that public pressure. Um, Ultimately, our internal documents that we examined show that they promoted recycling knowing that it wouldn't actually address those concerns about the enormous amounts of plastic waste they were producing. But, uh, you know, it justified selling more disposable single-use plastics. Was there not, in your documents, a deliberate strategy to sell more uh, and that single-use would allow production to remain high? Because, obviously, it's only used one or perhaps once or twice or three times for a purpose. Was that a deliberate strategy? It was. um, Yeah, really all the way back um, to the early days of promoting disposability, the industry saw uh, sort of recognized that, you know, plastics are a durable product, as we all kind of know now. Um, They don't break down. We we know that because they're in the environment and their uh, plastic waste just stays out there forever. Um, The industry recognized that as a market issue um, back in the uh, middle of the 20th century. And, um, yeah, basically viewed disposability as the answer to continuing to grow their markets. If people were throwing plastics away, if they ended up uh, in the garbage wagon, as they said, um, that meant that uh, 
people were buying new plastics. This is actually a quote, isn't it, the one you've just used, from the 1956 Industry Conference for the then Society of Plastics Industry, a trade group. It told producers to focus on, quote, low cost, big volume, unquote, and, quote, expendability, unquote, and to aim for materials that end up, quote, in the garbage wagon, unquote. Can you explain what was there before single-use plastics? Could you be more specific about the kinds of products and how they were packaged before this drive? Yeah, um, you know, there were a lot of different materials that were used for packaging. Um, I think the key is that uh, many fewer products were disposable. Um, You know, in in, in many cases, this um, growth of single-use plastics allowed the plastics industry to expand, but um, really was kind of creating whole new markets that hadn't existed before. Um, People were much less likely to use a product once and throw it away. Packaging was designed differently. Um, So in many cases, it it wasn't just a substitute material, but like a um, a whole new market for plastics that was being created. The throwaway is interesting also. This is another quote in 1963 from the editor of the trade journal Modern Plastics, congratulating the industry on filling the trash cans, the rubbish dumps and the incinerators with single-use plastics. The happy day has arrived, quote, when nobody any longer considers the plastics package too good to throw away. Does that mean that perhaps post-war uh, and in the 50s and 60s, people would use their plastic packaging or reuse their plastic packaging? They would. Uh, Yeah, there was a lot of resistance to uh, the whole idea of throwing uh, packaging materials away after one use. Um, Sadly, uh, that led, in the case of plastics, to some uh, really tragic events, including um, in 1959, uh, something like 80 uh, small children suffocated on plastic bags from the dry cleaners. And uh, the industry really sort of used that as a catalyst to promote disposability, um, encouraging people, uh, you know, don't save your plastics. That can be dangerous. Uh, You have to throw them away. They have to end up uh, in the landfill or the incinerator. At what point did incineration, concerns about incineration begin to appear? At what point did concerns about the impact on overflowing landfills begin to appear? When did people know there were problems? That really began uh, definitely by the 1970s, maybe in some cases even before. But um, by the 1970s, the industry was promoting landfilling and incineration very heavily. They, uh, you know, recycling wasn't even on the radar, really, because they recognized when it had been considered that it wasn't likely to work long term. Um, so, yeah, industry people were really promoting landfilling and incineration as the solutions. Um, in, in their mind, you know, that kind of uh, shifted the responsibility away. At that point, they were no longer a problem where the plastics industry was blamed um, for you know the visibility of plastic waste. Let's talk about the strategy then to talk about recycling as the the kind of answer to the issue, the nirvana where we could have these incredibly durable and and, uh, useful packagings without having a waste crisis, or as we now know, a microplastics crisis. At what point did the industry know that recycling, and we should say broad recycling, we'll talk in a moment about what recycling is working and, and what isn't, right? 
but that broadly most plastics would never be recycled. And why did they conclude that? Uh, there are major technical and economic limitations to the viability of plastic recycling. Um, for one thing, we talk about plastics as kind of a, a one thing often, but in reality, the plastic packaging that we use um, is uh, a wide variety of kinds of uh, composites of different um, plastic materials. They include all kinds of additives that complicate things. And you really need a, a pure supply of plastic for um, recycling to be viable at all, even in the more kind of limited sense that it is. Um, so that presents a whole lot of technical limitations, uh, and they just sort of go on from there. Then there are also economic limitations that it's very difficult to acquire that uh, you know very specific required plastic input. Um, the process of collecting plastics sorting them, cleaning them, preparing them to be recycled is very expensive. Um, and then most uh, problematic, at, you know, of all, really, um, recycled resins are of lower quality and almost always cost more than virgin resins or those resins made from fossil fuels. Um, plastics degrade through the process of recycling. Uh, that's inherent to the material. And um, yeah, it, it basically they're competing against uh, material that's better and cheaper. Let's look at the when it really starts to pick up. 1988, this trade group we were talking about earlier, the Society of Plastics Industries, roll out the chasing arrows symbol, which we still use today to define whether something's one, two, or five. The only the only grades now uh, that are supposed to be collected uh, by New Zealand curbside collectors. That's a, a recent standardisation. So we got the chasing arrows with their different numbers on it. But at this point, um, did the industry already know that this would not be a major... It would not be viable for, for most plastics. They already knew it while promoting it as, as what? Uh, yeah, I mean, they really are, are very clear by the time we get to the mid 80s. Um, they had known it, uh, you know, to, to some degree, uh, well before that. But by the 1980s, you have all kinds of industry sources acknowledging that recycling really isn't the solution. Um, in one uh, document from the Vinyl Institute, which, which was a, a trade organization from 1986, they said recycling cannot be considered a permanent solid waste solution as it merely prolongs the time until an item is disposed of. Um, similarly, the uh, director of the Vinyl Institute in 1989 um, said recycling cannot go on indefinitely and does not solve the solid waste problem. Were they open about this? This, this reminds me of any other number of 20th century in industrial stories where it took years, including climate uh, change itself and, and what certain large um, uh, energy companies, um, oil companies knew as far back as the 1990s at least. One infamous video involving a very major player where their scientists were telling them what the impact of their products would be on climate change. Right. Were they public about it? Did they know this and were they public about it? Was the Vinyl Institute speaking publicly about recycling cannot go on indefinitely? No. Uh, by this point, they had really shifted tack. In, in the early days when they're focusing on 
uh, you know, landfilling and incineration, they're, they're, they're a little more open about the fact that those are the best solutions in their mind to plastic waste. But by the mid 80s, they had begun to promote recycling as the answer. Um, they knew that those other, uh, you know, quote unquote solutions um, were not popular among uh, the public. And basically that there was going to be backlash that could threaten plastics markets if they didn't have a, a more popular solution, basically. And so, yeah, by, by the by the 80s and 90s, they were really clear that, um, you know, internally they were saying all of these things that they, they basically were expressing frustration that the public uh, would not get on board with incineration in particular. But, um, yeah, we're very clear about the limitations of recycling publicly. What, I mean, uh, sorry, internally. We're um, clear about the limitations, but publicly strongly emphasized, uh, you know, that recycling was the answer and, and making all sorts of claims about the viability of recycling. What do, you, what do you argue the impact of those campaigns are then? What would the... Have has this contributed to a situation where viable alternatives to combating plastic waste were, were just not explored or, or not taken taken up? Yeah, it's difficult to um, think about or imagine what uh, alternatives might have looked like in many ways because the industry promoted recycling so heavily. Um, they really ensured that that was the only um, sort of approach that was explored. Uh, and I think they did that because they knew that there weren't really any good answers. Um, the reality is that in all likelihood, had they been realistic about the uh, viability of recycling, it may have led to significantly less plastic production. And um, obviously that would have uh, hurt their business. Let's look where we're at now. Having put mine out this morning and faithfully looked at whether it's <laughs> one, two or five in the little arrow section, which is now all that we're supposed to put out, this is plastics, supposed to put out in our curbside recycling, no matter where you are in New Zealand. Um what is it about one and two? They are the two under the industry's resin identification code. These are the two that can be recycled or are being recycled. Davis, where are things at? Yeah, uh, you know, there are limited uses for very particular kinds of plastic. And so the industry has really emphasized eventually once it became clear that uh, plastics recycling more generally wasn't working, they began to um, emphasize you know, uh, PET bottles. That's the number one. Um, several forms of other, like other PET uh, materials, can't be recycled very well. But um, PET bottles are recycled at a higher rate than other plastics. We'll say um, HDPE number two, um, like milk jugs and uh, some other things like that are recycled at a higher rate compared to other plastics. Um, my understanding is that for New Zealand, those rates are around the same that they are in the United States, which is under 30%. Um, and But that's pretty narrow. So uh, even the ones that are most recyclable are not being recycled at a very high rate. And the vast majority of plastic packaging 
uh, really can't be recycled at all. All right. We had this conversation uh, recently uh, uh, about there being viability. The case was made there is viability for those particular numbers that New Zealanders are recycling, although much of it is going to uh, plants overseas. We were assured that it was given the cost of uh, of these particular categories of plastics, uh, there was a confidence that they were being recycled, otherwise you wouldn't take them on. It would not be viable to take them on to stockpile them. There's also some local firms here. I can think of one local firm I've interviewed who are recycling. I think 11% must be virgin of each of each um, recycling um, uh, product. Recycled products must be virgin plastic, but the rest can be. So some is happening, Davis. But is the point here, the idea that this was ever going to make the plastics waste problem go away was false, but was promoted? Right. That's really the key is, uh, you know, we, we can we can look at um, the limited plastic recycling that is occurring, um, plastic do- downcycling in many cases, you know, using plastic products uh, that resin may degrade, but then it can be used in a lower quality, uh, you know, a, a plastic product that has lower quality demands. Um, so that is uh, occurring in some cases, but it's really it comes down to production versus capacity, right? The plastics industry has grown enormously um, since they began to promote disposability, and that growth is only increasing today. the The, the rate of plastic uh, rate of increase of plastic production is um, absolutely out of control at the moment, and. Uh, the capacity for plastics recycling was never going to come anywhere close to that production. So uh, that's really where we're focused is just that they knew that that was not an an answer to plastic waste, um, but knew that basically it would be popular uh, if people believed that it could be recycled. If if they kind of were even able to hope when they threw something in the bin – uh, that it might end up being recycled, then that made them less likely to, uh, you know, it made the industry less likely to face extreme backlash against those single-use plastic products. Thank you. Davis Allen, Investigative Research for the Centre for Climate Integrity, that report published just in the last day or so.